You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Hi, my name is Nadia Trudell, and this episode is part of the Canadian Task Force to Combat Online Anti-Semitism series. Today's guest is Oren Segal, the Vice President of the Anti-Defamation League Center on Extremism. Hi, Oren. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so to start off, do you want to talk a little about your background and the work that you do with the Center on Extremism? Sure. Um, So I am the vice president of the ADL Center on Extremism. I've been with ADL for uh, longer than I can remember. Um, And that's not a pandemic joke. Um, I... uh, I have the, the honor of overseeing and working with a team of investigators and analysts and fellows and, and folks who are basically dedicating their life to uh, identifying and combating anti-Semitism, extremism, and all forms of hate. Um, you know, these folks are spending most of their time um, in the spaces where these actors exist and, and we work to try to mitigate those threats, uh, protect communities and in our own way, win hearts and minds to try to um, make it so that anti-Semitism and hate is not um, as normalized as it seems to have been over the last couple of years. So what are the current forms of anti-Semitism online? Um, so, Whatever is in the real world, whatever narratives are emerging in terms of anti-Semitism is what you will find online, right? Um, And so, you know, when a pandemic starts, uh, what we witnessed was conspiracies that Jews are responsible for the pandemic or that Jews are responsible for, you know, vaccines uh, in response to the pandemic to either make money off of it, right, that this is all one big plot or to control the masses through, you know, microchips. I mean, I, I say that because any sort of news issue, any crisis, anything at all, um, one will find a level of anti-Semitism in response to it. Right. This is this is the problem with, I think, social media and online platforms in general, is that many of them don't either recognize anti-Semitism, they literally don't know how to recognize it, or they're just not doing enough to make sure that all forms of hatred, including anti-Semitism, are being addressed um, and, and taken down. And so when I asked what does anti-Semitism look like online, it looks like what it's looked like for, you know. 2000 years just in a modern manifestation. Mm-hmm. And that's something I was really curious about is how has it evolved to the digital space? Um, obviously, there's been an impact with the COVID-19 pandemic and also the rise in disinformation, fake news. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think anti-Semitism um, is weaponized and used, um, by people coming at it for different reasons, right? It's the same conspiracies that have been around for thousands of years about Jewish control or Jews manipulating 
um, governments or media, you know, at the expense of others. I mean, these are not new. These are classic tropes. But, you know, individuals with their individual agendas, perhaps their individual hatreds, um, will make use of these conspiracies and these narratives um, for their own purposes. And it could be across the ideological spectrum. Right. The thing about anti-Semitism is not like a left-wing issue. It's not a right-wing issue. Anti-Semitism is an anti-Semites issue, um, and frankly, it's a, it's an issue for the Jewish community. Um, so it's one of these very malleable forms of hatred that um, that are exploited and used by a wide range of actors. And again, this is both online and on the ground. Mm-hmm. And what are the biggest challenges to governments in combating this form of online hate? I, mean, I think some challenges are recognizing was what anti-Semitism is. Um, I think this is beyond a challenge for for governments. It's probably a little bit more broad than that. Um, but you know, you you have to know why something is a problem, why it's offensive, the impact it has on the community that it's targeting, in order for you to care enough to do something about it. Right. So I'm not always so sure that fundamental understanding of the history of anti-Semitism, the ways in which it manifests itself, which sometimes are sort of cloaked or sort of intentionally difficult to identify, um, is recognized. But, you know, any government that wants to protect, you know, its, its people from hatred or harassment or, or worse, um, should be invested in understanding this hatred. And frankly, I will just say one other thing, right? Combating anti-Semitism demonstrates a commitment to combating other forms of hate, right? Racism, Islamophobia, misogyny, et cetera. And combating those hatreds demonstrates a commitment to combating anti-Semitism. So we, under, we need to understand how they're different. We need to understand the contexts in which they arose is different. Um, but fundamentally, what what is needed is a commitment to, you know, not letting marginalized communities feel victimized by those who either have more power or who have a voice to try to, you know, leverage to keep them down. And what are some of the measures that the Center on Extremism is advocating for? So I will say that the Center on Extremism is part of you know, the Anti-Defamation League writ large. And so the center's work um, in terms of measuring anti-Semitism, um, a lot of that focuses on our annual audit of anti-Semitic incidents. Right? So since 1979, the ADL has been putting out a report um, that uh, provides data on incidents of anti-Semitism that are reported to, to us, right, through our 25 regional offices. And unfortunately, what we've seen, you know, 2020, the last year we have full data um, on record, was the third highest year, you know, over 2000 incidents reported. This includes assaults and vandalism and harassment that are reported to us. Um, Two years before was the highest year um, on record, you know, since 1979 again. And so, you know, seeing these higher levels of of incidents and, and it's not just the volume the numbers that include, you know, acts of violence have significantly increased. Those, those are troubling. And that's one way that we measure anti-Semitism. 
but it's also informs the measures we want people to take to push back against it, right? Data drives policy. You need to know where it's happening, what it looks like, what the data is telling you uh, in order for policymakers and others to do something about it. So for example, in the United States, hate crime laws um, and hate crime reporting is, is not always uh, as robust as we would like, right? There's over, I think, the last FBI hate crime statistics while, while showing that anti-Semitic hate crimes were, were a large, the, the majority of the religious-based hate crimes still doesn't get reporting from like over 60 um, cities in the United States with 100,000 people or more. Right. So that's just not um, it's it's not helpful to have partial reporting. And so our our audit of anti-Semitic incidents, um, you know, includes incidents from those places that may not be reporting to law enforcement. And what we hope is that um, they'll do a better job reporting that. And we also hope that governments, as we mentioned before, will stand up and speak out against anti-Semitism no matter when or where it arises. And do you think that social media platforms and other digital stakeholders are doing enough to combat on anti-Semitism online? Social media companies and broader online companies are not doing enough. Um, it should be a lot harder for my team to find anti-Semitism on these platforms. And as mighty and dynamic and incredible as my team is, right, and really skilled at finding extremism and hate and anti-Semitism, you know, in comparison to these large companies, we're tiny. If we can find it, they can find it, right? They need to invest the time, the money, the technology to prevent the exploitation of their platforms for hate. So no, they can do more. I'll give an example. You know, after years of not recognizing Holocaust denial as anti-Semitism, let me say that again. After years of not acknowledging that Holocaust denial, the denial of, you know, was anti-Semitism by Facebook, they finally um, in 2020 sort of adjusted their policies to recognize it as a form of anti-Semitism. And we did a report not too long ago on the sort of year anniversary of that decision and found Holocaust denial on Facebook. Um, you know, some groups, not just individual posts, right? So, and we reported it. And in many cases, after we reported Holocaust denial, it was still not taken down. So it wasn't just that they proactively didn't find it, right? They didn't address it when the community alerted it to them. So they can do better. We need them to do better. So that's, I don't think it's unreasonable, by the way, for users to expect companies that are using algorithms to sell advertising and to keep our eyeballs on the screen. It's not unreasonable for users to say, hey, I don't want to be harassed. I don't want my kids or my family to see anti-Semitism. I also know the impact of that in online spaces, how that normalizes hatred and how we see that play out on the ground. Like, it's just not unreasonable for users to expect companies to do better. So yeah, they could do a lot more. Is there a way that we can encourage them to do better when disinformation and anger and hate seems to benefit them often? 
I mean, they need to put people over profits. Um, I think there's been a lot of, you know, exposés about how, um, like intentionally they have ignored the issues, right? It's not just that they didn't know there was an issue, but they knew about it and didn't do anything. You know, we've been part of um, exposing that. Um, you know, it should be hard. It should be hard for me to find anti-Semitism on these platforms. And it's just not hard and because they're not doing enough. So is it a challenge with disinformation, all that? Sure, sure, sure. But like, just because something's hard, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we lower our expectations, especially when the stakes are so high. This is not about like whether or not you're going to, you know, buy the, um, you know, sweet cereal or the, you know, um, the other one. This, this is about, you know, how we understand the communities in which we live in. This is about like how we interact with other human beings. Um, so yeah, the stakes are high and they need to do more. And what are steps that regular people can take to counter online anti-Semitism? Yeah, I think reporting is important, right? I think it's, it's reporting to whatever platform that you're on. They're not always responsive, but you know, you got to sort of keep alerting them to that. It's reporting to organizations like ADL um, as well, since we collect this information. If it's criminal activity, it's reporting it to law enforcement, right? The, the, the one thing somebody can do, right, is report what they see, right? It, it, it doesn't, you know, I, don't, I think it's unfair sometimes when people say speak out as an individual, you have to speak out against hate in your community. Yes, I think that would be ideal. Some people may not feel comfortable, right, doing that. It may not be safe for some people to, to take that route. But what people can do at minimum is report it. It's, it's really, really valuable because it informs the broader understanding of where these things are playing out and how they're playing out. Um, so yeah, hold people accountable and report um, issues as you see them by, by being accountable yourself. Okay, that's great. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Well, this has been a little bit of a downer, right? Like we always need to have some sort of hope. Um, so, you know, obviously we've talked about anti-Semitism being readily available online and the company's not doing enough. You know, we've talked about, we've seen an increase in incidents reported to us about real world activity and, and incidents that occur, including violence. And, you know, that's not the most positive thing. Um, you know, I think we ought to also focus on allies that speak out against anti-Semitism, even if it's not their community, and, you know, do the same, right? The more that people speak up for each other, there's strength in that. The feeling of not sort of being alone and, you know, not compounding um, an incident by just having to deal with it on your own. So we ought to be thankful that there have been some strong voices that have condemned anti-Semitism, right? It's really important. And, and also it sets a model for other people to do the same. Yeah, and just, you know, I always sort of end with like, I don't think this moment in time that we're in right now is gonna be remembered solely for like the online anti-Semitism and the real world violence that, we'll, that we've seen. I think it'll be remembered for what good people did to, to say, 
that's not us. That's not normal. That doesn't represent us and it's not okay. That's wonderful. Thank you for finding a way to end things on a positive note. And thank you for joining me again today. This was really compelling. 